This is the Orange Podcast, conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. This is Alan Rea. As this program, the Orange Podcast, delves behind the scenes into what's happening in the corridors of Orange City Council, some of the most interesting stories consistently come from the cultural and creative end of our civic precinct, our city's theatre, library, museum, and this week, our regional gallery. This week, if you step inside the gallery, you'll be confronted by a group of travelling humans who look like they just stepped out of a Neolithic swamp. Only a couple of years after the state government helped out with $3.5 million to virtually double the size of the regional gallery, that extra space continues to attract some of the best exhibitions to be found in regional Australia. And this week, the gallery was a hive of activity, unpacking a container just off the boat from England. Inside, 26 giant and tiny human figures, the work of internationally renowned sculptor Lawrence Edwards, who believes he's getting more uncertain the older he gets. I love the idea that, you know, the older we get, we kind of think we're going to know more, but actually all we seem to do is gather uncertainty. And I love that, that really chimed with the way that I'm making sculpture. The more I make, the more uncertain I become, the less I know. Uh, when I was younger, there was always certitude. There was always the, set, the sense that at college we always had to have an answer to every question. And now I don't have the answers and I'm really happy to explore the sculptures with an audience. More from Lawrence Edwards shortly. But first, the story of how making the gallery bigger brought the work of this highly regarded artist to Orange. Director of the Orange Regional Gallery, Brad Hammond. Well, Lawrence is one of the leading figurative sculptors in the United Kingdom and uh, is growing in, in prominence uh, in the UK. And he has something of a following in Australia, which I think also through this exhibition is extending uh, his connection to Australia. But he's recently constructed uh, a massive figure in the UK, um, which is outdoors, which is uh, gathered a lot of attention to him as a as one of the leading sculptors um it's kind of the the answer to england's angel of the north it's called the yachtsman in the south and so it's right alongside the highway um yeah so he's he's a great artist um at that level but also i think that the quality of his work is what is also really important to us here how does an artist of that level come to have an exhibition at the orange regional gallery what tell me the story of how it came here well, it's, it's one of those um, nice stories about, you know, a small thing leads to a big thing where um, Lawrence was visiting the collector nearby uh, in Orange who had purchased a large sculpture of his. So a few years back he was visiting um, just to check in on that sculpture uh, together with Johnny Messam who he uh, shows with in England and they heard about our gallery extension. And at that point we hadn't even started putting in the footings or we might have just started and so the conversation began. And, uh, you know, we've, this new gallery extension that we've got is really designed to be able to show very ambitious work uh, of all different types. And so this is a, uh, really our first figurative, major figurative sculptural exhibition. And um, uh, it, I think the space and the capacity that the space has is part of what led to the work uh, being considered for Orange. And so 
I'm delighted to see that because one of the intentions of the space is uh, to be able to show high-quality work and draw people to Orange, like a cultural tourism kind of destination. And uh, when I think when people see the show, you can see that it's um, it's a kind of major body of work that uh, is very impressive. And so, um, yeah, I think for them to be able to show his large-scale work in Australia, which he hasn't done yet, and for us to be able to show work that is great for our local audience to see, have first-hand encounter with, uh, leading work from around the world and then also to draw people to our region. It is going to be a work that all, because of his reputation, will draw people from further afield. Well, already we have so many people coming for the opening and um, it's, it's garnered a lot of interest in Australia. So um, I think I'm really pleased that you know people think of Orange as a place to come and see, uh, have a unique cultural experience and then obviously food and wine alongside that too. The logistics, how do you get 26 sculptures, tons of bronze statues from England to Orange? So really, it's a partnership uh, between Orange Regional Gallery Council and um, and Messam's Wiltshire. So uh, Messam's run an extraordinary program. Uh, they're great believers in the power of art for society and uh, have a strong philanthropic uh, kind of view. So they were uh, extremely supportive in shipping. You know, we had a forty foot container arrive here last week with uh, all of these works in them, and we craned them out. So. Uh, yeah, it's thanks to that partnership that we were able to do it and to have these works. Uh, I think a lot of the works will end up staying in Australia, so, um, so it's a win-win for everyone. Mm. You mentioned a first figurative um, sculpture exhibition. What does that mean? Why, why should that be attractive to Orange locals to come and look at? Well, I think that, for one thing, I think there's, the sculptures are very powerful, but they're also very accessible. You know, the human figure rendered in the way that Lawrence works with it, it's, uh, you know, you're not wondering what you're looking at. It's very apparent and then it's got a very strong psychological emotive presence to it as well so for me i I enjoy it because it's very accessible but it's also very powerful and so uh figurative meaning it's the human figure and it's clearly identifiable as the human figure so it's the first uh what most people would think of when they think of sculpture traditionally um lawrence is working in bronze which is a medium which figurative sculpture has had for many many centuries but What's interesting about Lawrence's work, when most people think of bronze figures, certainly male figures, um, they're thinking of uh, you know, statues in um, city squares of victors and colonizers and triumphant people. His sculptures are totally different. They're, they're much more psychological question mark around his characters. But he's working with that same material, which has that long tradition. So he's kind of pushing the boundary of it. He's taking it into the next... Um, this is very much a, a story of our time, uh, where there's sort of contested, uh, contested stories around power and history. Uh, and I, I, I think Lawrence is an exciting artist because he goes straight into all of that and deals with it as a subject. And, uh, yeah, so he's, it's a nod to tradition, but it's also um, uh, pushing forward at the same time. So what do these statues look like? One of the obstacles of making radio programs or podcasts like this is the lack of images. So... Who better than the artist himself, Lawrence Edwards, to describe what you'll see when you step into the gallery? Well, you've got a uh, really a series of eight-foot bronzes of figures, uh, figures that have been um, manipulated and added to. I would call them almost figures that have been accreted. The stuff has grown on them, stuff is hanging from them, stuff they're carrying things. They're figures that um, know burden. They've known a history. And really, I think what I'm experiencing at the moment is that it's up to the viewer to decide what that history is. And I'm finding it very interesting, uh, learning about my sculptures through a different audience. 
the title, Uncertainties. Is, is that, does that bring some of that uh, pain and suffering in the past into the mix? Certainly. I think that comes from a quote where there, there was a, a uh, I suppose you'd call him an archaeologist, a marine archaeologist that was, in England we have this land uh, gap between Holland and, and, and the coast, which is called Doggerland, which was once land lived in by the Mesolithic people. And there was this archaeologist that was dredging up the bones. And the more we gathered the less certain he became. And I love the idea that, you know, the older we get, we kind of think we're going to know more, but actually all we seem to do is gather uncertainty. And I love that. That really chimed with the way that I'm making sculpture, that um, the more I make, the more uncertain I become, the less I know. Uh, when I was younger, there was always certitude. There was always the, set, the sense that at college we always had to have an answer to every question. And now I don't have the answers, and I'm really happy to explore the sculptures with an audience. That's why we bring it around the world and, and, and put them into different contexts to see how they connect with people, to see how my impressions of them change and, and the public that I know, how they see them change. And it's really exciting actually to be here. Do you think when people see these faces they're looking at the past or is it a contemporary thing? I think of them as not of this time, but I don't know whether it's the past or the future I'm looking at. Their characters, especially the walking men at the back, they're characters that have come out of somewhere and they're going towards somewhere and they're not quite sure where they are, but they're on a journey. Their faces are very expressive. Is, is that uh, pain and suffering or is it uncertainty or, or, or how do you see it? I think it's a, a panel plea of, of human emotion. Some of them are very stoic. Some of them are quite traumatised. Some of them are determined. Some of them are uh, insecure. Some of them... There's not many smiling people. <laughs> But, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of the human emotions, I think, in them. And I think I, I, see, I see people bringing emotion to them, actually. And they seem to gather people's emotions. They seem to collect, harbour and, uh, and reflect people's own psychologies. They're larger than life. Is that part of the mix, to, to make an impression, to grab someone's attention? Well, I discovered some time ago that, you know, the ambition as a bronze caster, because these are all casted by me or, uh, at my own foundry in, in England. Um, and we worked at six foot life size and that was always my ambition as a sculptor to create the six foot bronze but every time we put a six foot bronze into the landscape it would look five foot it was it was really sad <laughs> so all that all that ambition and all that kind of um hope that this would have an impression on the landscape um it kind of diminished every time so you had to go up the scales and i was really thinking about you know big creatures like the horse or the or the elephant or the whale or the whatever, the gorilla, and how they kind, of they kind of manage to contain much more, and we are kind of embedded inside them, and I love that, and I wanted to create that in sculpture, so now these sculptures can encompass you, they can, they can, you can inhabit them, you can, you can travel around them. So this eight-foot scale, is, 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 it holds up in the landscape too, it still looks big, uh, and it stands out across a hill, you know, especially in some of like Australia, where you have vast horizons, they will stand out, uh, and they will they will make a, make a statement. In the same way that a painter might do a line drawing or a sketch to rough out their ideas before starting on the final painting, Lawrence Edwards makes smaller statues. The exhibition has both large and small versions, showing how those ideas developed. They're called maquettes. And basically a maquette is a, a sketch of an idea uh, it's often small, obviously. And that's where I do a lot of the working out of um, how the sculpture might look, 
I can often even make an even smaller figure that represents me and stand it beside a maquette to get an idea of what the maquette would look like in scale. Um, and it gives me a chance, it gives me a lot of freedom, as in, you know, the word sketch, you know, you know kind of uh, gives you that idea. Um, that yeah, they, they are sketch, sketch bronze studies, and often you can addition them in their stuff. So there's a, lot of, there's a way of playing around with them and, and developing ideas that often change as the addition evolves, for example. The sticks, for example, in a stick carrier, each time I put a, a stick carrier together, there's a new set of sticks put in. And those sticks will often form another idea later on. So there's often a lot of drawing, I call it, drawing in the sculptures, which kind of lead to the next. And to, to repeat in additioning, which means uh, making a, a set of sculptures of the same idea. Um, you can evolve an idea very gently and very gradually, uh, um, which is, is fascinating, actually, from a sculptor's point of view. For someone coming along to the exhibition, will they be able to see some, notice some changes, see how, how an original idea developed? Yes, absolutely. So, for example, there's a, there's a sculpture called Heft, which is a man, a big man, carrying a whole load of heavy branches. And these branches are kind of tied together with strings. So you're not quite sure what he's carrying. Was it a, a structure from the past that he's kind of dismantled? Or is it something he's hoping to grow later on or build or rebuild? Is he a, is he a destroyer or is he a creator? And you don't really know. Um, and I think in the three, I purposely put three studies of him in. So you've got a maquette at six inches, you've got a, a one metre high study, and then you've got a, a eight foot to 12 foot high or a complete piece. And I think you'll see a journey through those three sculptures that eventually end up in the big guy at the end. Because, you know, for example, a base, which is just a piece of wood in a maquette, suddenly turns into a, a turbulent kind of river of branch, wood and, and stump which you know, I couldn't achieve in a, a smaller piece, which grows through the idea. Mm. So narratives can grow with scale, and stories can be told that can't be told in smaller pieces. I imagine seeing these sculptures outside, you know, in a natural setting or in a park, would be very different. How do you see them here in, a, in, in an indoor exhibition space? The luxury of uh, an indoor space with extraordinary lighting is just, uh, is just a sculptor's dream. But one always knows that their eventual um, home is going to be in landscape and one is always thinking about landscape. One is always thinking about how light will move around the landscape, the topography of landscape, the, 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 the growth, the trees, the, the, the features in the landscape around them and how they'll react and really relate. So it's very, it becomes quite planetary, really. You start thinking about, you know, you're not, not talking about a light bulb in a ceiling, you're talking about a sun and even a moon and how that will move around an object and, um, and different times of year. I just put a a 26-foot-high uh, figure in the landscape in, in England. And, my God, uh, it's extraordinary to watch daylight move around it and pick it up at different times of year. And I often find that, you know, if you've got a tree or a, a, a house or whatever it is in, in landscape, you're not as aware of light as you are when you suddenly look at a figure and suddenly go, my God, the, the, the chest is there, the, the arms are there, the, the head looks different. And you think, God, no, this is 2 o'clock in the afternoon, not and not one o'clock in the morning or, you know, three o'clock in the morning. So the, the way light works around a figure in, in landscape is absolutely fascinating. And, and the moonlight as well, you know, it turns it into something completely different when it's on that scale. It becomes ethereal. It becomes, there's a mass that's a completely different type of understanding of weight and, and surface that's, the shadow is different. And it's kind of crystalline and kind of deeper and darker. It's, it's a fascinating thing in a landscape. But there is a, a wonderful kind of a luxury of being able to control light like we are here. Mm. I've been picking up tiny features on shoulders, bits of texture that I love, bits of string and rope and bronze, which kind of um, 
are now glowing, which I could never achieve in, in an outdoor landscape and setting. As part of your visit to Orange, you're having a, a public conversation, uh, a, a public interview for an audience about your work in, yes. in Suffolk. Could you tell me a little bit about this 26-foot, 7-metre-high thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's called the Yoxman because it's on the River Yox. And uh, this, this, this landscape is, is ancient. I mean, in, around it there's Neolithic finds, there's uh, um, Bronze Age finds, and there's a cliff edge about five miles away, and it's an ancient city in, in, in England. It's quite famous, called Dunwich, and the whole city has disappeared. And you still, uh, in the cliff line, you still see bones from a graveyard that once the last graveyard of this town, Greyfriars, this ancient kind of 11th century uh, building. And so when you walk along the beach line, you will look up and see all the kind of levels of history. You get a kind of um, Neolithic kind of bones. You get mammoth bones or, uh, you know, hip bones. And you go right down to the kind of ancient forests of the kind of Cretaceous or whatever it is, a Devonian. Um, so in one, one wall, you'll find time overlapping. So the whole, that, this was the beginning of the sculpture and the idea that time would move up this sculpture as it does a cliff line, an eroding cliff. So there's lots of stuff issuing from the body, stuff um, leaking out of him. And it's almost like dribbles that come down his body, uh, almost um, effluent almost. So he's a, almost an, uh, uh, a signifier of an environmental change, really, that's happening in our country. He's almost a conscience, feeling, looking. He feels very much like a revenant, someone that's visiting from the past and, and going, what the hell has happened? Um, what am I a part of? What have I done, in a sense? So he's, he's a figure of conscience, but he's 26 foot high, and he's a big, uh, textured, um, physical mass of, of being, and his eyes look down to the ground. He doesn't look up and ahead. He's not a heroic. He's almost, he's almost uncertain. He's, uh, he's kind of trying to work out why he's there and, and what's happened for him to be there. And he kind of monitors time. He's next to a road. And I never thought about it, but the road buzzes past him. The cars buzz by, the lorries buzz by, and he looks down on them in this kind of weird world, spinning past. But there's also these incredible trees and forests around him. So you kind of get the trees and the seasons growing slowly. And then you get the lunar timing. He becomes this kind of loci, this kind of central kind of hub of a whole series of times, including ancient geological times. So he becomes a kind of a, a, a hub in a load of spokes of various experiences. So... He's powerful. He, he occupies a space. How has he been received by the Suffolk community? Um, a good art is supposed to be provocative. Are, yeah, are yeah, you yeah. getting a, a range yeah. of views? He's, 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 a, he's an ugly duckling, let's put it like that. <laughs> and I think what happens in this scenario is there's an initial kind of aversion. And then people begin to love their duckling, their ugly duckling. They begin to say, this is ours, this is mine. So the local community is really understood this narrative of being able to talk and do a series of lectures and talks and the words got out about what this guy is about and people really respond to this idea of the connection to land and a connection to ecology. Um, on a wider national level, you know, the tabloids pick up on a nude man on the side of a road, obviously, and, uh, and they have a great fun and all the TV and all the chat shows very much enjoyed. Poking fun, let's put it that way. Polite fun, you know, light-hearted fun, but it wasn't what I call art criticism. Uh, so one had to put away one's art pride and, and take it on the chin, really. But he settled down and the council, the, the parish councils all have a meeting underneath him. There's people meet there, people talk, people, it's, it's accessible to the public. So there's lots of uh, 
opportunity to um, engage with him. Mm. People try and climb him. You know, it's, he's become a feature of the landscape and people are proud of him now. Back to the exhibition here in Orange. Are you, what are you hoping people will, will take away or why should, why should they bother coming to see these sculptures in Orange today? What I've understood with the previous show about this, this exhibition in, in, in England, which is in a similar scale, a similar you know, setting, was an ancient barn. And this is the first kind of modern space that I've managed to show them in. I was very taken by um, uh, a kind of a physical connection, an emotional response. And in some times, it almost felt like you were in a kind of a, a special... The, the building was made kind of special or um, there was a reverence, uh, almost like a chapel, that these, these, these people occupy and create a, an emotional power and a psychological power that people respond to and, and bury themselves in. And, and I got a lot of feedback, uh, an emotional feedback, a lot of talk about people going back again and again and again to try and um, be with these giant beasts and to, um, and to be absorbed by them and to be, have their own selves reflected by them. And it, I was very taken by people's emotional interaction with the figures and, and putting themselves in the figure's place. And I'm very interested to see how people here absorb them uh, in a completely different environment, in a country with a completely different history, and to understand if there's any connections that come out that I haven't thought about um, in this landscape that I can take away and in this society, in this culture, that I can take away and think about. So I'm very excited to hear people's responses you know, from a kind of a, a place which is the other side of the world to which they were made. And um, it's going to be really interesting to to um, understand if the human psyche and the kind of the creation of human equivalence is, a, is an, a, a kind of a, a larger thing than kind of geological or geographical place. See if that kind of emotional presence is something that translates. The exhibition runs into, from February until April. Lawrence Edwards, thanks for your time today. Oh, thank you. That's the Orange Podcast for this week. Remember, you can download this program anytime from the Orange City Council website or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Orange Podcast is produced on Wiradjuri Country. Until next time, this is Alan Reader. Bye for now. Listener.